Hey everyone, it's Spear, and welcome back to the Super Combo Podcast. As usual, I'm joined by our host, Chris of Unix. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, surprisingly energized with how busy I've been lately, but the grind don't stop, and sometimes it can bog you down, and sometimes it just kind of pushes you forward. Like, you, you end up more motivated than you were before, and that's kind of where I am today. So, uh, yeah, just glad to be here. Glad to, you know, be here with the amazing co-host and the dude that organized this podcast, George. Glad to be the uh, best U7 Gohan player in the planet. Glad to be a lot of things right now. Just just, just had to drop, drop him off like that, eh? <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm also glad to be one of the best content creators for this entire you know card game you got two of them in the same podcast so you already know what it is <laughs> she, whole piece of humble pie right now <laughs> hey look y'all want it y'all come get it but, uh, last time i checked my upload schedule and my content quality all right, all right, all right. <laughs> hey, hey whatever pushes the bar right mm-hmm. let's rise together friends that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying so this week on the docket, pretty late week, and I'm not going to try and jinx it, so I'm not going to say much more about that. But uh, we do have a couple more regional announcements since the last time that we had uh, discussed. Um, there's still some question marks around what's going on there, so we'll dive into that. Uh, reveals, of course, are still ongoing. Uh, this week, uh, jumping into yellow, and then last week having finished off black, so we'll go ahead and touch base there. And then the SC mailbag has been pretty quiet this weekend. No big tournaments, nothing too crazy going on, so... Um, just going to run with it from there. So to kick us off, regionals, they have finally announced the rest of the offline regionals to our knowledge. Um, they haven't made any more announcements. Um, so it does really seem like for the offline components of which, you know, makes sense considering people need to take time to travel and stuff. Um, as far as the offline components of these tournaments go, uh, they are going to start in May with the core TCG one and then really lead into, uh, June and July. So the Regular offline ones where you go to a venue just to play Dragon Ball. Those are going to be in May between Core, TCG, and Top Cut, May 1st and May 7th, respectively. And then when we're talking about the convention aspect, because there were three aspects to quarter two. Offline, um, some kind of online tournament. We don't know what it is, but presumably it's not a regional. And then uh, conventions. And PPG will be taking care of the conventions. So as far as PPG goes, there's Origins Game Fair happening June 8th to june 12th the entirety of that uh, it's even more than a weekend actually um so we'll have to wait and see which day specifically has the reg uh, the regional presumably it's going to be on the saturday and then otakon uh, also hosted by pbg july 29th so those are in uh washington and columbus respectively so definitely go check that out and as far as like just attending these now of course you guys know i'm canadian it's kind of tough for me to join to these events however odds are i will be at origins because of a My Hero thing I'll be participating. So if it, I'll be stopping by the PPG booth. I'll be saying hi and seeing how the regional goes. So if you guys, uh, none is guaranteed yet, but odds are if you guys uh, are going to go be at Origins and you guys see me popping around, feel free to say hi. Um, but those are what we're seeing so far, which is nice. I mean, it's double up from what we saw previously. So of course, more than uh, we had the week prior in terms of things available to us, but still kind of a gap, right? Uh, April, still nothing going on. Um, and offline, currently nothing going on. So before we jump into that side of things, um, are you going to be joining? I know, I know you're a busy, busy man, but will you be joining any of, uh, of these events for this uh, se uh, second quarter of uh, the organized play season? Well, I want to ham it up, all right? I'm all right. A, let everybody here know, 
I am more financially troubled than I am busy. No, I'm kidding. I make myself busy. <laughs> but, um, getting It's more like traveling can be expensive. And so it's not just the time off, you know? Yeah. It's everything. So, I mean, look, when it comes to Columbus, I got to see if the crew's going, and then we got to see what's going on past that. But it would be cool to meet up with the homie, George, as well as just see everybody and more stuff like that. However, when it comes to D.C., that's in my backyard. So uh, not only is that in my backyard, that was where I got my first top eight for this game. And so I kind of want to go back and kind of see about it. Um, Long ago, in a uh, distant land, there was a set, I think it was set four was out. And uh, Otakon had a regional. I didn't want to play in the regional. I wanted to go to Otakon, as I had done for every year, for years. And uh, I ended up going with the lady I was dating and living with at the time. And I didn't want to play in the tournament. She said I was going to regret it if I didn't play in the tournament. She's right. She kind of knew me. And so she was like, just play. See how it goes. But it went really well. Um, I kept facing Red Blue Soul Striker, and I was playing Red Blue Harutagarn. Feasting. And um, not Red Blue Soul Striker, (laughs) sorry. Red Blue SS3. Uh, and I kept playing it, and uh, I like ate that deck. Like I think my own. I had one tie to Nikolai Peterson. If you're listening to this homie, he's a pretty cool dude. Still see him at tournaments time to time, playing um, blue yellow Goku with all these eights. That was the feature match. We played to a tie. I will never forget that because it's DBS Dad on the uh, on the what? DBS Dad was the head judge, and George was helping commentate, and. Uh, Machado and he was just sitting there and he was like I feel like Chris put every single playable Gohan in his deck <laughs> because like in a straight up like line I defended myself with like two of the come into play go uh, Gohans and then the turn after that he got uh I comboed out on him but I used Sensi beans and stuff like that to free up all my energy and I played two miraculous comeback ultimate Gohans on him <laughs> and there was like there might have been one more go oh there was the uh, there was the three drop that uh, if you have less than X amount of cards in hand, you draw. And so he was just like, I feel like he's put every just valid go on his deck. And I was like, I mean, but um, <laughs> yeah, we had a really good run and I got to top eight and I felt bad because I said I was just going to be in and out. And uh, I had been there all day and my girlfriend had just been kind of coming over with like snacks every now and then talking, checking in. I felt bad because that's not why she came to the event, you know, like, so. I sat down for top eight and I let my opponent sweat it out because he was playing Super Saiyan 3, Goku, red, blue, and we had been playing with each other. If you stay at top tables all day, you kind of sit around the same people for most of the tournament. And um, yeah, he was sweating it out. And when the round was about to start, I said, congratulations on top four. He said, what? And I gave him a handshake and I just quit. And that dude somehow dodged energy lock Vegeta to then win the event. And his name is Corbin. So that, that's how that whole thing went down. And I don't want that again. If I can make it a top eight again, I guarantee you, I will not be scooping it up. So You're a nice maybe other comments the move. <laughs> You're a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of those things haunted me for a while. One of those things would haunt me for the rest of that relationship. So thought I just uh, backflip out of the tournament. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I got my invite. That's what mattered. There you go. So I guess that's like a key point, right? And I, I think that's the point of contention as to why people are saying like there are quite a few. It's pretty few regionals, right? Like in three months, we're going to have four regionals. Um, it's kind of few. So 
Um, you know, if you do well in Otakon, if you end up going, like, all the power to you, and I, you know, hope you the best. And then, um, but then there's, and actually, now that I think about it, like, Washington, D.C. is not that far from me. So they're, depending on that weekend, I might be able to make the drive. I got my passport. Oh, no. You do that. <laughs> you do that. Hold on. <laughs> but, um, so I, I guess the question becomes, right? I mean, IRLs are pretty sparse and they're expensive to go to. Not, you know, even if they're available, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're accessible. So on that front, does that, you know, depending on how the regional season plays out, you know, could you see yourself take the pivot into doing a couple of online tournaments to get an invite? Um, you know, we've seen players like Joey who never plays online. I didn't even know if that man owned a webcam. Um, ended up playing out in an entire tournament. So is that kind of a pivot something you could see yourself doing depending on how the the rest of the um regional calendar kind of opens itself up? Um 100% actually. Uh when they release their next batch of onlines, I'm just going to start scheduling off weekends because it's kind of weird. Uh I know some people may not want to hear this, but you know, one of my not said something people don't want to hear. Um, like Gohan being actually a good character in the continuity of Dragon Ball. Like, you get to things like these online tournaments, right? It's not exactly that in-person tournaments are expensive. I mean, they are, but they're no more expensive than they really used to be. Sometimes travel can be, you know, up and down, but it's just that now we have these alternatives that you can sit and do from your house. It's like, before, if you're going to a tournament, you just kind of chalked up the hotel, the food you ate while you were out, however you were getting there, to the game. You're like, well, I play card games. I'm going to have to travel to go play in these events. Nowadays, we have online tournaments. And so now everything seems so much more cost, like just costly in general. Like, ah, gosh, I got to go to a hotel. I got to get this. I got to get this. But it's kind of crazy because I never remember thinking about it this way back when I was grinding Yu-Gi-Oh! all across the United States. It'd just be like, oh, this is where we're going? Cool. I'll make sure I have enough money for it and I'll save up or maybe I'll skip this tournament because I really want to go to this tournament. But uh, I definitely will be taking some time out to do these online tournaments because I want to secure a invite to Nats. And with anything in life, if you're not here yet in life, then give it time. As the years go by and you grow up a little bit, it'll happen. When you wait <laughs> closer to the date of something to get affairs in order for that very event, it is just more stressful. And that's like anything across life, including a nationals invite. You don't want to be two tournaments in before Nats trying to get your invite. And then you bubble on one. And that last tournament just feels like just dread, like anxiety.exe. Nah, nah, nah. You just want to kind of be able to start getting them in as they come. So, yeah, I'm going to take some time off when the next onlines come up just so I can play them. (laughs) You never, I mean, one, very true, obviously. Um, Very much get ahead of those things when you can. But um, the alternative is you could do like they did in 2019, Nats, allow unlimited last chance qualifiers and just spend like $1,000 until you get your invite. <laughs> See, that is definitely hella funny. It's just kind of like, and I'm not going to front, like, this is going to sound bad because <laughs> this, is, this is not supposed to be a backhanded insult. But generally, most of the players that you play in those last minute qualifiers were not sharp enough to do well enough in the initial events that they signed up for. So it's not like you're going to be facing, like, the best <laughs> of the best have already gotten their invites. So it's not like you're going to be facing off against, like, destructively strong players. Now, there may be some people that didn't play in tournaments and then just kind of, you know, all my homies are going, my team is going, so let me join him. But it's just kind of like, 
a lot of the times you're going to be finding people that were either indecisive about going to tournaments or, you know, maybe did not place as well as they needed to. Yeah. Um, but the issue though, is the reason like, I mean, and everybody should know this last minute qualifiers, they attract a lot of people that want to qualify last moment. Dun, 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 like same self-explanatory, but the whole part on top of this is that when you're trying to not have an overflow of people due to, you know, regulations about social distancing and shit like that, it becomes sort of a problem to allow an event to exist where people will come in mass who don't even have invites to try to get invites. And if they don't get invites, what do you want them to do? Yeah, you can tell them, no, you can't get in without an invite. The chances are they're just going to be inside the venue, loitering, breathing up all the non-COVID air, stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of like up in the air. Like they could do last minute qualifiers. I feel like everything's kind of relaxing right now. Not that the pandemic is uh, like over. It's not like COVID's gone. It's just that people just don't really care anymore, it seems. So maybe they can just kind of relax it and do last minute qualifiers. I'm sure a lot of people would like that. Um, I think that uh, at this point, because we had such a light regional schedule this year, I think it's in their best interest to either make it last minute qualifiers or to make nationals maybe just open entry this time. I'm not going to front. Uh, open entry could be an option. Um, I will say, though, something that kind of like helped. I mean, I, I will say last Nats was kind of like an exception just because there was like two and a half years of organized play um, bulked in together into like one nationals. Um, but something that they did started doing as of last season, um, last organized play season, is um, store championships now rewarding regional invites. Now, I've always hated this um, because, and, and not because I'm elitist, but just because I feel like if you're going to have an invite only tournament and it's supposed to be quote unquote, the best of the best. And like, if Nats was like open, I wouldn't care. But like, if it is going to be like an invite only thing, like I really feel that equating someone who top 16, a 256 man tournament shouldn't be put on the same level as someone who was able to talk, like win their locals. So those were always weird to me, but you know, from what we've seen previously store championships have rewarded invites um they scale i think if you're like a 32 man they give like two invites out or something like that um or maybe it was 8 to 16 i can't remember i think it's a uh, the store championships if i'm not mistaken you have to get first place yes you have to win it all and so like that's like crazy too because you can go there and play i mean it's only like four or so rounds and i won't i won't hate like because i definitely was very vocal about how i did not think store championships to give out invites i just thought that was kind of silly um it's kind of weird and it and you really can't judge it because you can but you can't like i don't want to toot the horn of the dmv but it's like you go to a dmv you know regional right or a dmv store championship and chances are just because of the prizing and what's involved there you've got in our championships you know you've got a players like Zach Egner. He's on Hermit TCG. He has a Nationals Tops. He has multiple top placements. Um, you've got Amani. He used to be on MRG. He has many top placements. He's a known good player. You have Daryl. Um, Daryl may not have like, you know, as many tops, but Daryl is constantly crafting decks and people are using his skeletons and improving upon them or taking them. Like he's a very, very competent player and he knows what he's doing. 
You have Nick Green who just practices with like, if you go to one of our store championships, you are playing a bunch of people who would likely be doing well in tournaments in general. Uh, and that could go for a lot of different places. You go to Florida and a store championship in Florida is definitely going to be different than a store championship in like, I don't know, Kansas. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you have those things. I mean, and even in this area, you know, you've got like people like Jordan can come down at any time. Like anytime we have a case tournament, Jordan would just like, if he, if he has the time and he has a way over, he just comes down for the tournament. Like, so sometimes I feel like the store, oh yeah, and Jamal, I forgot about Jamal too. Yeah, sometimes the store championships just depending on where you are geographically could be a lot stiffer than some other things. Like, yeah, you have a 200 person tournament, but maybe five or six of your rounds, actually 200 people probably don't do that much. Maybe three or four of your rounds were kind of questionable slash fodder. And then you face like two really hard matches. Whereas depending on where you are, you just have four straight rounds of like gas players. Like <laughs> that can get like really nasty. But um, I've always kind of felt like a glorified locals should not weigh the same amount like as like you said like winning an actual regional like and i i said this before i had like a regional like win i said this a long time ago i'm like it feels like it cheapens your victory when you're looking at getting into a tournament by going through all of this and somebody literally had four rounds of people they play every week yeah and so. and that, and that's the biggest thing like at the end of the day it's fine um, I mean, odds are, you know, those players aren't the ones that would be knocking me out of top, top contention at Nats anyways. Um, but it, it's just more so about what, like, it's all supposed to represent. Um, and like, it, and like you said, like, depending on the story, it could be like, some locals legitimately are probably tougher than a lot of regionals, the regional days you'll have. Like you said, like, if you go to Florida on like one of their busiest days, like you have some of the best players, in, like, you literally have the world champion there. Like. You know, so not all stores are built equal. So I recognize that there are some situations where it could actually be more difficult. But for every one PPG you have, for every one, you know, core, whatever store, your store, um, for every one of those, you have like at least a dozen stores where it's like people, you know, playing what they have for fun. It's like even my locals, like and nothing against my locals. My locals have some very competent players, all of which have provisional or regional tops uh, under their belts. But I don't think there's been a single store championship since I started playing Dragon Ball at the store that I have not made it to the finals. So it's just like, it's... You are that dude. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's always been a little bit weird to me. Um, but at the end of the day, that like if we're ever worried about size of Nats, those are one of the alternatives that'll probably end up being used this season alongside with, who knows, maybe Q3 is like, all right, it's the summer, let's just go ham. And they throw us like a million events, you know? Um, the thing that's nice about online events is that they're almost infinitely scalable. Um, they take no prep time, very little prep time, a few judges, TO, that's about all you really need. Um, mm. They, you know, that you don't need a venue. Um, so as long as you got product and as long as you got a TO willing to do it, then for the most part, you're good to go. So I, I think as far as like size of the tournaments, I'm not too worried about it. I think it'll be a very sizable tournament regardless. Um, it'll just more so be like, you know, opportunities of play um because like just to bring it back together if we see um the tournament structure we have four regionals in q3 um at the moment that are irl and that's from the looks of it pretty much all we're gonna have regional wise and then there's this one new online event i don't know what this is um and it happens once again in q4 in october again new online event i don't know what these are 
I'm not uh, presumably they're not regionals because then they would just be called online regionals like they are for the rest of this calendar. So, oh, and no online regionals in the winter either. So really, if you guys are all looking for online regionals, your only opportunity after this quarter is going to be between July and September. So during the summer is the only time if you cannot show up to IRLs to be able to get your invite online. So definitely keep an eye on that. So whatever this new, I don't know what this new one is. Um, presumably they might've been the events that they were supposed to do in April because Digimon's getting events in April. And we do know that they tend to coordinate both very similarly. Um, Digimon has this event that's not tied to regionals. They're called Ultimate Cups, which is just kind of like a side event. I think they did those last year as well. Um, Dragon Ball, in when we were first converting over to webcam gameplay, was doing something very similar where um, we would have online tournaments that weren't regionals. It was kind of like its own side cup thing. I had ended up making up into the um, Invitational by the end of that. You played for like three months and got invited to like some nice tournament at the end. That might be what this is. I don't know. Maybe it's like an alternative to Fest. I'm not sure. Um, but that's going to be the only online thing available in Q2. And we don't know how many of those we're going to have. Presumably that says event. So it's going to be a one-time thing. Odds are, if it wasn't announced by now, it's probably not going to be until probably, you know, sometime in May or June. So the, the, the big thing that the big question that this brings in is I feel like, especially considering reveals, and we're going to go into those shortly after. But the fact that they're revealing cards and the, you know, that set's creeping in closer and closer, it really feels like we were robbed of an oppor of opportunity to really be able to sink our teeth into this meta, uh, in this new set. Um, I think you know, we, had the, we had Fest, we had a couple of regionals, then we have nothing, and then next month we start having a couple more regionals again. And already by now, by the time that we end up getting to May 1st, the entire set's going to be revealed. So... At that point, people are already, because you know that's what people do, are already going to be testing the next meta. So it really feels to me like, you know, between the delay of the set, um, kind of like a, a late OP uh, schedule start, and then kind of this like spread out OP schedule, it really feels like we just really haven't had the opportunity to really sink our teeth into the Realm of the Gods meta and see kind of where things shuffle and settle. It it really just feels like people are really starting to pick up their stride with Red U7. And in, it, it, and for what it's worth, spoiler, I'm not a big fan of what I've seen so far from the next set. So odds are I don't think it's going to change that much. So at least we'll still probably get the ability to keep on exploring the next set or this set in the next set. But it, it definitely feels like this is going to be one of those like we're not going to see the meta fly by across and then it'll, we'll, we'll be moving on to the next thing. Hmm. Very interesting. Cause I am. I'm a little odd about it, right? Um. So when it comes to red, Rildo was a shame. As much as I dislike Rildo as a character, Rildo was a shame to me because from a design standpoint, I think two lines on his card could have changed, and it would have been a much better deck. Um, I think I might have said this before, but Rildo needed to be able to special summon those one drops from the deck, and he needed to go down from whatever life he was at to five life when he awakened. Just those right there would take the stress of opening up combo pieces in your hand. Like, I'm a Gohan player, so I understand what it means to be like, normally you hold on to super combos, right? You hold on to your secret rare. In a Gohan deck, my hand has to be juiced for me to hold on to my secret rare, but I almost never hold on to super combos. 
because it's more important that I open up a one drop of vanilla, maybe two vanillas and a, uh, and a unison. Because if I open up those, I can play the one drop and have a combo when you swing or when I swing and I can play my unison, you know, and do that. And by then I filtered so many cards, I filtered another six, seven, eight cards. And so my hand's generally going to start building its way up. But uh real is in that space where it's combos are clunkier because you need two one drops to assure your awakening. And if you could just play it from the deck, you would only need to have one of those one drops in hand. There'd only be one card you need in hand to know you're going to awaken. And that would allow you to really just be a lot better at keeping, you know, cards that you might want to like have otherwise. They're good red set of cards. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate. Rildo kind of got screwed. GT is in a space where it's odd only because it's fun and it has some power, but like GT is just like a fairer version of some of the decks that are already out. Like U7 in some cases already feels like a more fair version of KP because KP does some things, puts some pressure on the board for free. And U7 may have slightly more going on with his cards, you know, the dual attacks, the crits, the minuses, but you're paying one energy for them. And so to a degree, okay, you have more effects, but is it free though? Um, GT has that feel, except I think GT is inherently weaker than U7, but you're still paying energy for everything. Yeah. So um, on that end, I definitely agree. Uh, when it comes over to this yellow leader though, uh, this Goku that just got released. Uh, we've only seen two. No, we've seen one unison, right? It's the Vegeta. Uh, there. Well, when it comes to one drops, we've only seen one. But they also showcase like the three drop that like triple attacks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're kind of we're kind of seeing some some interesting things here, and I am kind of in the weird space because when it comes to Whenever it comes to uh, yellow, I've said it before, I'll say it again here. You really, really have to understand that with yellow, an archetype only needs to be, an archetype doesn't need to be built well for yellow to work with it. An archetype needs to be built good enough. Like a yellow archetype can be all offense and yellow as a color will hold it defensively. So people are saying, oh, well, I can see Unison getting cloggy. I'm just like, all right, how often do you get to actually swing on a yellow deck? Like, if things are going well for the yellow deck, how often are you actually getting to a combo step? There's a whole lot of gnaw with a lot of that stuff. And so if this Unison-centric yellow deck is able to start punching you in the face a gajillion times with a Unison, mind you, because from what we've seen, this, this Vegeta is a one drop. And then let's see, like going into my, my stores. It's uh... a, <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and like, we'll take a deep dive into the, uh, into the reveals shortly, but I, I don't know. I it, it like, the archetype's bad, my guy. Like, I know what you're saying. Like, just because it is yellow, it, it, the requirements are way less. You know, they have so many stuff that prevents you from actually being able to effectively apply a, a combat turn that what they do could be annoying. But, like, like you know, other yellow decks drawn to things that you can combo away. Like, you're drawing into more unisons feels like not the play. 
Especially since this deck is looking to load up on like a dozen unisons. Well, so see, all right. This this is the interesting part, right? Because you can see just based off of this one Vegeta card, these are all in, these are all going to be empowered. And yeah. you have this Vegeta from this what scene where he shoots Cell in the back. You have Gohan from when he's shooting against Cell. And then we saw on the cover or the uh, little commercial that there's a Yamcha, a Tien, and a Piccolo from or, uh, Yamcha, Tien, and a Krillin from when they're shooting against Cell as well. So I'm assuming they're all going to be unisons. Just, just going to throw that out there. That sounds like it's a, a good thing. And they're probably going to have Empower Yellow too as well. So now you're looking at this Vegeta saying when he's placed in the drop area, you draw a card. If they're all built like this, we're maybe not seeing drawing into a gajillion unisons but your leader trying to pluck them off the top of the deck before and then these unisons are going to cantrip into other cards when you empower on top of them and then you have yellow doing its yellow things around that but it's also kind of weird because this is a deck where you you may be able to swing twice with a unison per turn on average and unisons are some of the most uninteractable things in the game still even with the card effects it's I don't necessarily think I'm going to write it off quite yet. I want to see the rest of the reveals because if the core isn't big enough or isn't too big, then I think there's still actually a lot of room. I mean, that, that Gohan is a monster. Like, like what, like seriously, what, what is that? What is that unison? He can board clear on turn four, just like by himself. Yeah. And he draws a card and, but like, bro, like I, I hear you. And like when someone asked me earlier today how I feel about it, I, I, I told him like, look, odds are I think the leader, I think the archetype's kind of dead out of water. Um, unless you get some kind of uh, rule replacement effect that makes Unison's comboable or you get some kind of broken card. So far, I've seen either of those things. And like, yeah, I get that like the archetype is probably going to work in a way to be able to cycle these so that you're not just kind of like stuck with them but like nevertheless like you run the kind of like density of unisons that this deck seems to be like asking of you and bro i'm gonna be swinging at you with a double strike and you're gonna have like in a card in a hand of like eight cards you have like 10k combo and feel real sick you know so you can have your handful of z fighters but like i don't i don't think it's doing it for you but that's obviously with the prediction of like assuming they're all going to be like vegeta tier and then at that point it's like who knows? So I, I, I am leaning a bit more pessimistic. I do understand that yellow is obviously incredibly strong in terms of it doesn't take much for a yellow deck to be decent, especially a yellow Saiyan deck. You know, he can run Turles and like, you know, he can run um, Steadfast and all those fantastic cards. So they're, they're, it's still an incredible card pool. It's just I, I think there's a lot better you could be doing so far. Like even then, I like his the leaders activate battles like defensive. I didn't even realize it was defensive. I thought it was uh, offensive. So. No, this is active battle is defensive to yeah. probably try to offset the fact that you have unisons. But I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of a numbers kind of guy. You're running a 50-card deck. I don't think you need to run more than 12 unisons to make sure that your top five is constantly getting yeah, a unison. I think 12 so is I'm fine. Just, I'm just trying to see how much. And people will be... You'll be running all sorts of dead cards in order to make their deck work. So I'm, I feel like if they're... They're can tripping. We're gonna see. We're we're definitely we're definitely gonna see. Now the only thing I don't like is his front side only going from the top of your deck. Because I would rather be the top of your deck or your hand. I would like you to be able to 
play from wherever you can, not just, oh, I whiffed, my leader effect just died. Yep. Especially if you open up a bunch of unisons and your leader effect doesn't do anything. So I'm definitely interested to see how this works out. Um, but it does look mechanically odd. It has that green flavor to it in terms of gimmick. But it's just, it's it's very strange. I think this is going to be definitely one of those decks where I want to see when we have all the cards exactly how it plays out. Because right now you have decks that, I mean, yellow, like, like I said before, yellow, we still have the Steadfast, we still have the Forbidden Powers. We have a lot of cards that keep heat off your back. I just need to see how this works in relation. Because yellow sometimes only needs one energy to stop you from swinging for a turn. But we're definitely going to be able to see. Um, I can get the hesitation with a bunch of things you can't combo with, though. Yeah. So, you know, just to put a bow on uh, the regionals front, I, I get a feeling it's still going to be the same format. So even though there are some people who feel that, you know, um, they haven't had a lot of time to play with this current set, which is very valid in between the delays and the fact that we don't have as many events. Like, I am super not incentivized to even finish my Universe 7 deck at the moment. I'm still missing some cards because I'm being picky and I'm like, eh. Like, I, I have my invite, so I'll just wait until I can actually find the SPRs to finish building up my deck. But, like, I'm not even incentivized to build the few Realm of the God decks that I want to build. Because as a Canadian, I can't justify flying to the States for an event, and there's no online event. So, like, and I know this is very, like, a, you know, Canada-pilled take, because, you know, it only really impacts me, and the rest of the U.S. is probably fine. But, um, nevertheless, as someone who's, you know, forced to play in the North American region of a card game, it... I basically am told outside of whatever this online event can't be like, I'm basically told like, you know, you won't be playing the card game for three months because like I outside of like maybe being able to drive to Washington, which like I'm an exception because, you know, I live decently relatively close. Most people will have to fly and that's like, yeah, you can't justify a thousand dollars to go to a regional, um, especially with these pricings. And I guess that's the kind of last boy I want on it. I understand what they tried to do with the pricing for these regionals, um, but they just need to pick better cards. Like, yes, they wanted like more exclusive pricing based on placement. I get that. One, it wouldn't have hurt that if you topped, you would get another champ pack. That would have been kind of nice um, at the minimum to kind of like substantiate the value a little bit more. But like these picks need to be better. Godly Aura makes no sense, especially since he's like a pair. So like, yes, Vegeta is the better of the two Godly Auras, but nevertheless, like, not a great choice, especially since you guys probably picked him banking on the Crimson Warrior stuff being better than it is, and then the Crimson Warrior leader's ass. So, bad pick there. And then, like, Great Priest is just like, I know it's thematic to Realm of the God set, but there are so many guys you guys could have picked differently. So, so you know, Bandai, if you guys ever want consultation on which card should be promos, I think I've made some fantastic theory picks um, in the past previously, which you guys have then jumped on, like in the Judge Packs, the Negate Blockers. Well done. So, you know, if you, if you ever want some recommendations on that front, feel free to hit me up and I'll gladly tell you guys which cards need promos. <laughs> um, just to put it out there, hate to break it to anybody that had different hopes in the past, but uh, Crimson Warrior Vegeta was always at Your deck was 70% fodder cards. Yeah. 10% fodder bosses and baby hatch. And, like, what, what are you doing with it? Like, you spent, like, the best thing you have about your deck is that you can combo quite efficiently a couple times. Yeah. And that's it. Like, the leader was never actually that good, even with his effect being pre-eroded. So, yeah, you guys, you guys deal with that with you will. But um, also, 
it's kind of weird because what we got we got some cooler cards and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think an archetype has ever been rebooted in this game as many times as Cooler has. This will be the third iteration of well, Cooler getting like mad support. Yeah, well, it's it's not. I mean, U seven, but like, um, is that, like 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 Cooler is probably the archetype that's gotten the most offhand support. So like, obviously, you got the actual reboot leader, which works with the clones, yeah. uh, the tokens. Um, and you've gotten unisons that kind of make tokens, but because they're not like they don't have character traits, they don't work as well. Um, and then so you've gotten a lot of you've gotten TPs, a lot of weird offhand cards that work with the archetype. Now, this is kind of its own different take where odds are we'll probably get like a different leader to kind of like work with the entire strat. But um, it is, cooler has definitely been one of the ones that are up there. Like you could argue U7, but every U7 archetype tends to play very differently. Um, same yeah. thing with U6. U6 has gotten a lot of support, but they all play very differently, especially being in different colors. So if we're talking like direct, like same colors, same kind of like, yeah, we're just going to mash like, you know, a dozen copies of this exact same card in our deck and do some with it. Then like, yeah, I think Cooler is definitely probably the one that they've touched base on the most often. Well, they are trying. I mean, now they're having a green leader with yellow and green cards. And they, they want to make sure that you can use the green meta cooler unison in a cooler deck. Yes. But they're also bringing a successor card that's the freest thing I've ever seen. It's like successor into this card. By the way, if you use two drops, you can bring that many meta coolers back. So I'll be like, bro, you're just going to refund the entire successor? Like, <laughs> I'm going to plop this meta cooler core down and then just play four 15k bodies, which depending on the way your setup is in this cooler deck, could have blocker, could have double strike. I'm just like, you know what? What are, what are the chances this time of them actually breaking this deck? <laughs> like, just third time, lightning strikes, and they're just like, you know what? This deck will not be ass any longer. And they just accidentally give it a little too much of the yellow spice. Hell yeah. And then all of a sudden, Metacooler is just like rampant. Free Salzino, baby. Woo! <laughs> like, it's kind of wild because I've been looking at, uh, like, the Toa deck, for instance, right? Uh, if you guys haven't been to my channel to see the deck breakdown, like the archetype breakdown, I would highly suggest it because there are some definite plays it's flimsy in certain ways and it's not flimsy in other ways like once you get to three energy you can herd or i have mass sand secret identity okay unless you can play a mass sand every single turn for the rest of the game once this deck hits three energy they can create upwards to three to five tokens a turn effortlessly like while defending themselves like oh you swung at me cool tap an energy two tokens oh wow you did this okay multiple tokens Okay, my turn, swing, token, plus one, token, uh, play poutine, token. And then you're just sitting there like, why are there so many tokens on the board? So yes, mass sand is a clear thing, but most decks can't sustain a six drop overwhelm multiple times in a row. Like you have to specifically go out of your way to parse out your six graveyard cost to do that. And this deck is going to be able to play into that as well. Oh, you got six in grave? Okay, well, let me just blow out this combo power. And then randomly, you're getting swung on by 30k, 35k swings because this combo power is going to work. Um, that deck is literally like a poutine-esque card away in a TP set from being very, very annoying. Because if you stick two poutines in that board and your opponent is just having a hard time getting rid of stuff, it's it's an issue. Like you drawing two on your turn, you're drawing two on your opponent's turn, yeah. just by playing the game. And um, 
So it's like kind of weird. They're making some cards that are mechanically way sounder than I've seen them be in a bit. And I'm kind of wondering where they're going to get to. Because normally Bandai does not spoil what they feel is best first. They normally kind of like, they every now and then they will. Every now and then. But sometimes they kind of save what they think is heat for later. And I think here, of course, it's going to be Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 are going to be saved for later. But the thing that kind of strikes me as odd is that the Red Ribbon Army seems very punchy. Not very typical blue bouncer stuff, protect myself. It seems very punchy. There are cards that have pseudo dual attack, I think critical. And uh, Gamma 1 and Gamma 2, if we get a very punchy blue deck, that in itself scares me. Because blue is home to D-Magic. Blue is home to Baby Hatch. Blue is home to Sensu Beam. These are all the cards you need to not get swung on. And if your deck just turns sideways every turn while being very unkillable or hard to kill, you just have a deck that can push into your face with Reckless Abandon and uh, not really have to fear the clapback. And that's one of the hugest parts about aggro. You always have to fear the clapback. How far am I going to push in? How far am I not? So I, I don't know. I feel like this format... Tangent aside, I feel like this format does kind of feel short-lived with us already getting spoilers. Um, I do think that it's weird because the set doesn't come out until June 3rd. So in terms of local play, in terms of any online events they can put up, we still have a little time, but it's very hard to tell if our format is going to change right now. Um, if King Piccolo doesn't get hit and Goji doesn't get hit, it doesn't matter how good these cards yeah. are. The format is probably not going to change. However... It's probably about time for Gogeta Zeno. Gogeta Zeno was lightly touched on the list, and it's still one of the most dominant decks in the game right now. Uh, that's a red flag for me. Normally, in this game, decks do not survive a second ban. Like, sometimes they get neutered in the first one, and that's fine. Sometimes they get put down to an acceptable level, and sometimes they don't get hampered at all. And that's normally when the harder hammer comes down later. So I'm fully, fully assuming that Gogeta Zeno will be hit significantly later um and to them all it would take in my opinion would be like an errata like just you need to errata just errata that's all it is like well i mean it's kind of weird because i'm not gonna front foreign energy with gogeta's i know is one of the most oppressive game pushes i've ever seen um if they've already got thwarting and a like trunks on board like the marvelous mites in there is it Marvelous Might? I think it's Marvelous yeah, Might. Yeah, Marvelous Might that goes into the one drops. A Marvelous Might literally needs to be limit one. His effect to burst into two one drops needs to be a limit one. Um, like, I'm not just speaking from salt, but I was at table one at Fest Miami, and I had like 17 cards in hand and a King Vegeta's Imposing Presence, but my opponent was like Trunks, like his leader, Trunks, Pycon, Unison, Thwarting, Marvelous Might one drops a second Marvelous Might into more one drops, and I died in the one drops. And I was like, the reach is insane. Like that, that was just like absolutely unreal for yep. me. Um, it's just like that amount of pressure is kind of insane just for what the deck can do. Especially seeing is that that deck on turn two could potentially take you down half your life if they get that turn one thwarting into that turn two trunks into that fighting against fate or beyond all limits, the deck can easily burst you down to four on that first turn. And then you have that four life and whatever hand you have left after their turn three to then uh, 
fight against whatever they have on board and whatever four energy can do in that deck, which is cough, cough, kind of a lot. Um, Gogeta's Nose is probably definitely a target. Piccolo is kind of weird. Lots of people are flipping Piccolo decks right now on the low. Um, I think Piccolo has a less chance of getting hit than Gogeta's Nose, TBH. He's been around for a long time, though. I don't know. Well, it's kind of weird. He's been along. He's been around for a long time, but Piccolo is. If I had to like put it out there, Piccolo to me is Piccolo and Gogeta Zeno is the difference between overtuned and unhealthy for the game. Piccolo is a very, very, very overtuned deck, but there's not really a specific point in which I look at Piccolo and I think this is actually broken mechanically. Like, it's overtuned. His power level is above most other decks in the game. But he's not unplayable against. Like, there are certain cards that really do hurt it that most decks have access to, like Koitsukai. Um, the, like, other red mirrors, and red is a very popular color right now, you can play things, like, that really get around it. Like, Wolfang Fist is really good in that matchup. You minus half the things they play. Like, it's, it's just weird. Piccolo doesn't put me in any position where I felt like this mechanically should not be allowed in the game. But Gogeta Zeno, by far, has times where I'm just like, what deck should be able to do this on turn two? Like, why am I at, why am I at four life wondering if I take this and go down to three? Or just, like, cannibalize my hand starting on turn two? And that's, like, kind of, like, the difference to them for me. Like, King Piccolo is still beatable. It's just across the field. It's so spongy and overtuned. It has like the best matchups. I can still see it getting hit. I just don't see it as cancerous, so to speak, as uh, as Gogeta Zeno can be when it high rolls. And that's another reason why Gogeta Zeno, I think, is kind of weird. Is just simply, it has a high and a low point. Like, like the deck is volatile on all sides. Not only is it doing things that are toxic for the game, but it also is like variable. You could sit down against three Gogeta Zeno players, and all three games could have a different pace. like they they can have the same deck list too and that's like i just don't think we kind of need that variance at a table that's that's kind of nasty it doesn't feel good yeah i i mean like i understand there's variance and it kind of like balances the deck in its own right but i mean that same argument was made for vegex and that shit got hit like four times on the ban list you know so hell yeah (laughs) so i i think I think what ended up getting Vegex and you know what uh, you should probably be having Gogeta is take down the ceiling a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's been said and said and time again. There are no better turn one plays in this game right now than going right into thwarting, drawing a card, removing a card, swinging for 25k double strike on a body that sticks around. Um, it's absurd. Um, the Realm of the God cards help. Definitely help on that venture in terms of like helping get rid of it. Um, but it's just such an incredible high roll and between and like they've the decks adapted now to a point where if you try and prevent them tall like i'll just use red cards as an example like if you go violent race all right well i'll just go one drop weenie aggro and those one drop swing for harder than like my two three four drops so it's just like what am i supposed to do (laughs) so i i think both are kind of in the on the chopping block personally um piccolo more so while yes you can game it there are cards that do really well against it i think more so just the free play aspect of the deck makes it a frustrating deck to play against um, your opponent can line up, you know, three, four attacks before they even commit one single energy against you, which can make for very frustrating game patterns. Um, and then Gogeta just high rolls too hard and like has some incredibly busted turns where um, if they're set up going into the mid game, then it honestly feels like you are so behind. So there's barely anything you can do at that point. Yeah. So we'll um, see. Yeah. 
we'll see. Um, still sometime, like you said, there's, you know, month and a bit left to explore the format, so we'll see what people take it. But um, so far, I don't think it's going to change much based on what we've seen. So I guess that segues really well into jumping into the reveals, which uh, as of the last time we spoke, there have been a couple of changes or additions. Um, so we got swap stuff. So swap is getting a bit more support. Black swap, Deborah swap. Um, Finn's oh. also getting a couple of cards, which is kind of interesting. So um, I'm unimpressed, but I mean, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you should be unimpressed with Finn and uh, and uh, Deborah swap. I think uh, it's exactly what I said before on Toa. I think Toa is missing a crucial piece uh, because Toa can have some amazing starts. I don't like how low its hand gets, but like legitimately, I need to stop being a Gohan player and understand that if a deck is functional on board, there are certain times where you don't need a book in hand. Like one of the reasons why I like playing against U7 Goku is because they can't properly defend themselves. They make good pressure and good pressure in turn takes away from your opponent's ability to swing back at you. But Red is good at stemming that pressure. So when Red mirrors, they're, they're fighting for their lives, like on a lot of turns. Uh, Toa has a very weak hand, turn one and two. Very strong hand presence anytime in the game after that, as long as you kind of get your stuff, like, started. But um, the issue here is no deck wants to rely on a single card to get their engine going. And right now, that is Poutine Umbral Might. If you don't get that card established, or if you get it established and they just wax it the very first turn, like, it actually does feel like the Gohan one-drop. If that card is not present in your game, your game strategy is significantly worse. And so I'm really hoping, but I'm also afraid that they're going to put a Broly TPS card in the tournament pack for Toa. Because that deck, I honestly feel like that deck is only one solid staple card away from being a threat. But I really don't want that solid card to be a TP card, especially with the way the circulation is. Um, It'll probably be a TP card. (laughs) <laughs> it's unfortunate. If they make it, it'll be a TP card. And it also doesn't bode well that last set we got a Poutine TP and it kind of felt like it happened out of nowhere. It's like this set's trunks. Like, why is there a TP uh like Poutine? And now I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh God. Like, what if they just do it again? What if there's a Toa, a mirror, or a Mechagabora, whatever? Um, it's just the thing about that deck is it's creating mass amounts of combo power. Um, defensively and offensively, however you want to use it, and there aren't a gajillion answers to that. Red will bully that deck very badly. And by the time you can make more tokens than Red can officially destroy, Red is trying to close the game. So I, I think that deck is always in a struggle versus Red. But uh, against like decks like blue decks, um, a lot of green decks have a lot of single targets, but not a lot of like spread. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be a lot more rough than people are realizing to try to not get bodied by the advantage that deck can make later on. Um, but we still have a couple more archetypes. Um, we've got a pickle leader to go into. And this is another one of those things where I feel like they might come a little harder with it because Namekians have just been so shafted. Like, actually shafted. So I feel like they might actually just try to, like, do something with Namekians. But then you have got the... Um, You've got, what else? Green has Cooler, Metacooler. That's that's kind of an up in the air. We already talked about Metacooler potentially maybe having some gas because they fucking, they, they've rebooted it enough times. They, they've soft rebooted it enough times. It needs it needs some good cards. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with this Cooler. I, I have no idea what they're going to do 
that's uh, up in the air. So far, what we've seen in Red Ribbon, it's kind of like punchy blue, but whatever. And then you've got the Gamma. I don't know. I don't know. I really, I'm kind of with you for the most part on this meta not really seeming like it's going to shift much. But we still have a lot of reveals. True. Um, we still have our secret rares. We still have a, just a whole lot to see. And I'm just really hoping that green and blue get help. Uh, green because it needs it, but blue because I need something that's not Soul Striker being blue. Yeah. I'm not talking about SS4 Vegeta because that deck is that deck isn't a high roller in this games. It's consistent in what it does, but it's a high roller in the format. There are times where randomly SS4 Vegetas are popping up in top cuts, and there are times where like you just you forget the deck is a deck. So it, it's very format dependent. You know what I mean? When like ever the format becomes, oh, we just poke at each other for the first three turns of the game with out any care ss vegeta just is good he rears his not so ugly head and just starts poking at people for ramp but whenever you get to a format where like it, it's just yeah it's weird it's definitely weird i want green and blue to be the winners of this set by far yeah um with blue i want just to be able to play blue differently and then with green i just want it to be viable um at this point like the traps that um can cold must have carrying the entirety of the color on its back is like insane so um we'll see i mean those are upcoming and you know like you said maybe they've opted to push those colors to the back of the reveals i mean the red ribbon stuff is just because it's tied to the movie so they're trying to push that as far as possible um but maybe green will be i mean green is due right like based on the last previous sets so we shall see where those come together so last week wrapped up with the black showcases at uh, the weekend they followed the previous weekend uh super combo reveals with spr super combo reveals and i just want to say called it <laughs> i i knew they were gonna do it um now here's the thing you know we've already talked about their effects previously so not much to say here um but they are gorgeous i think the super you know i don't i don't think they're as good looking as the first round of spr super combos um, because I do think those were a bit more uniform and they just felt high impact. Now, I will say there are a few key highlights, though. The blue red one looks hot. The godly aura stuff working with it. Super cool. Um, and I will say there's something about the Android 17 and 18 super combo that like I, I just I, maybe it's the car. Maybe I don't know, but I, I, I fucks with it a lot. Um, I think that one's hot. Um, I'm send everyone to you right now. I. <laughs> I cannot. Oof. Yeah, was good. I'm sorry, mommy. Mommy, you're about to fight again. Hold <laughs> up. Because like, I just, I just did a video where I went back and forth between literally everyone. I saw. And the part that kind of gets me is that one, I didn't notice until now. I don't know why I didn't notice until now, but like all of the uh, all of the old ones were like they have the same pose yeah they're like all, they're they're, they're, all, they're, they're all they're all blasts like a ball blast yeah they're all holding up the same pose they're all like doing this and that's kind of like weird to me i suppose right but for some reason discord is not letting me okay there we go so they're like they're all in the same pose they're all kind of static but it's kind of weird because i feel like i love dynamic poses over static poses like any day of the week that's always the one i'm going to choose 
And I find that like most of these things, like some of these are moments. Some of these are really cool. Like you're right. The Goku one is head and shoulders. Just, it looks so good with the fiery aura and everything, but also like the, the Vegeta one, that's a, that's a classic moment. Like he just said F everything. And he blew up like an entire landscape. Like he changed geography because Goku upset him after giving him a KO two cheeked ass slap with the Kaioken technique. Um, the cell one looks immaculate. Yeah. Like you said, eh, but like, oh <laughs> no, man, dude, that, look at that. Like, I don't know how you don't like the cell one. The, the coolest part are like the, like the leopard printing kind of look. But besides that, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a fan. Oh my gosh. He's firing a blast directly at the, you, you like, you like the Jiro one. You like the Jiro one over the cell one. Like, yeah, he's just I, chilling there. Yeah, I, I just, it's just, it's a powerful pose. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I get it's static. It's very, like, like I think what I'll say is I think the highs from this one are better. Like I said, the entrance seventeen one, eighteen hot, like one super hot. I find um, the Goku one was super cool. I think the Beerus one's kind of lame. Not gonna lie. Um, I was about to say Beerus and Kefla. <laughs> I think were the misses here. Um, and like I could, I could care less for Cell, uh, for Cell, but I could see why people like him. Um, so, so much color in that one. <laughs> Hold up. They're not like, I, I don't know about that one. The death beam, the color, the, the, the aura around him. I think that one's yeah. pretty. But, but I'm also like, I'm also an edge boy. Like I like my edge. So like, I think the older ones are a bit more edgy. They have like the, the dark comic book, like hard blacks uh, on the characters. They have like, um, you know, powerful poses. So I, I, I think that's why they appeal to me a bit more. But I do love the new direction they took these for sure. Well, so, so, some of them, like, 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 that's what I'll say. I like all of the old ones. I like some of the new ones. I won't front. When it comes to the old one, I think it's literally Beerus. Ironically, as crappy as as much as I don't like the Weiss one, I think Beerus, Weiss, Zamasu were the ones that came correct for me. Um, Android, Android, she's Bay, but like, I don't know. Like, I'd like to see a move that looks like she'd actually use it. And this was just kind of like her holding a glowing ball of energy. And I've never even really seen, like, it just didn't really do it for me. The Napa one, I think they missed a perfectly oper- good opportunity to have him mouth blasting. I think that's maybe what kind of gets it to me when they're, they're all doing the same pose, but they all don't have like the same fighting styles. And yeah, that kind of gets it does, like, it doesn't really fit, doesn't really fit their techniques. Yeah, I, f- I feel what you're saying. Like, give them the mouth vomit. Like, what do I know Napa for? mouth vomit and the uh the smell my finger pose before he blew up (laughs) 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 oh man but like i i definitely am happy with these um and it's really cool it's really cool some of these are like really cool even when they're reprints like the green blue one is definitely a reprint of the old red blue one but for the color it's in it's what it needed it makes sense especially like with how like arrival heavy blue green is, it just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Now the one thing I am kind of upset about is that all the pairs seem to have themes, but then like blue, yellow, just like shit the bed. Like you have SSG Goku now, and then you have Beerus. That's clearly whatever you have all the androids. Um, clearly cool. Vegeta and Nappa. Yeah. Beerus and Whis. Yeah. And then even Cell and Dr. Gero. Yeah. And you have Kefla and Zamasu. And I'm like, you could have just made Kefla like a, 
like an Oku Black or like a <laughs> like a fused <laughs> Damasu or some like something that paired up well with the old Zamasu super. Like it actually these patterns, I, I might have like I might have issues with OCD on that point, but I'm looking at all 12 of them right now in a folder on my desktop. And it just it is such an eyesore that Kefla does not match Zamasu. And it is, I don't know. It makes me upset. Anywho. Yeah. Mood. But um, yeah, so anyways, SPR is cool. Predicted it, uh, which means that we'll have less SPRs for the other archetypes. So we'll see how the distribution kind of pans out there. Um, and then yeah. beyond the super combos, we have the yellow deck that we were talking about before. Um, so the yellow Goku archetype is an archetype that incentivizes the desire to play unisons. So on swing, you take a life. And then the top five of your deck, if you have a one-drop unison among them, you get to play it. Um, no alternative awaken condition. So if you had four life or less, you get to draw one energy, one energy active mode and then flip them over. On the other side, uh, same thing, draws one and then play um, a unison, but this time from your hand. Um, and then he's got a couple of activates, one of which is main. Once per turn for double yellow, place eight yellow unison cards from your drop area to the bottom of the deck. And then he gets 10k and double strike. Activate main, mind you. So, and then it's not, act- as, uh, not as strong as it could be. Yep. And then activate battle once per turn. Spirit boost X. If it's your opponent's turn for each marker you remove using the skill, this card gets 5k. So, like Chris was alluding to previously, effectively kind of trying to counterbalance the fact that you have too many uses in your deck. Then to tie that together, uh, we have our one of the presumably there's going to be more one drop unisons. I can't see them just having the SS Vegeta. Um, but the first one is SS Vegeta Z Fighter, Empower Yellow 2, and presumably these are all going to have Empower so that they're easy to swap themselves. Uh, if this card has three more markers on it, when this card is played, you get to choose up to one of your opponent's battle cards, when it costs a four or less in rest mode, KO it. So some board control, which is nice. Auto limit one was cards placed in your drop area from your unit scenario, draw one. I'm going to assume this is going to be the text for every single one of these Z Fighters. Um, it's a 4K base with a activate main that becomes a 6K. Uh, he gets plus 6K, so he's a 10K. You know, he's a 10k, and under correct circumstances, the turn he's played, he can be a 15. A 15, yeah. yeah. Um, which is probably what you're going to do most of the time. Odds are, like, th- like whereas a lot of archetypes kind of lend themselves to, like, hey, I want my Yusin on board as much as possible. I think the mindset you have to go into with this deck is that I'm going to be hot-swapping my Unison constantly. And then, who knows, there might be another finisher. I hope there's another finisher for the deck. Um, but then there's SS2, Sun Gohan, Z Fighter, which is a three specified cost unison and power three with blocker. And it's the board wipe. So for every unison card, you drop area, if it has four or more markers, so whether it empowers or whether you play for four or more, you get to choose a bunch of rested cards, ignoring barrier up to the number of X and then pop them. Plus one, you get the draw a card and then minus three activate main. You get to choose one of your leader cards. And it gets 5k power until the end of your opponent's next turn. And then that gains, and then the unison gains triple attack. So it's a 20k triple attacker that also turns your awakened leader into a 20k. That's fine. It's a good card. I mean, it, removal on the unison is always pretty strong. Yellow is one of the colors currently with the stickiest capabilities. For, so, like, this is a good card even outside of the archetype, which is what I like the most. Um, we've had decks that kind of utilize, like, there's a yellow Charles deck which um, you utilize having the tree on turn one to be able to make sure you have a unison for when you want to empower. That's something you can utilize here. Obviously, you're restricted by the amount of unisons you drop, but if you empower, you're going to have at least one. Um, so it, it's, it's an okay card, um, but 
My So to really get into detail, my biggest gripe is that because this deck really looks like it wants to incentivize you to be able to um, play a unison consistently, it means, like Chris was saying, you're looking at about 12-ish one-drops, give or take, to make sure you can consistently hit that number um, on every swing, because otherwise you really are sinking back on the advantage game. So I and a lot of players are critical of it because we just feel like, obviously, if you're going to fill your deck with a bunch of cards that effectively do nothing outside of when they're on the board of which you can only have one copy on the board you're going to lend yourself to some really clunky hands now i'm open to the idea that there may be either some replacement effect or some kind of you know boss monster or flex card that brings it all together we've seen archetypes that have had glue cards uh broly swap once you include the one drop tp completely brought that deck together you know uh so cards like those could very much bring it together i don't believe in it at the moment but what I will say is that, you know, you guys have to, you know, listeners have to remember that this is the Swang Song set of Unison Warrior, right? It's the last one. It's the sunset. It's their last go. They're going to go ham as much as possible on a lot of these archetypes to bring new and interesting ways for Unison archetypes to be played. So with GT, we have the Super Unison, the one that's meant to have like a dozen markers on it and is like meant to actually make power work. Um, and that's what a lot of this is going to be. Um, Empower and Spirit Boost were lackluster mechanics that worked on like one, you know, not even 5% of the cards that they were printed on. So this set is probably really going to lean on that. So red, huge Empower with some Spirit Boost. Yellow, completely based around uh, Empower with some Spirit Boost. So you're going to see a lot of these and probably what we're going to see with the next couple of archetypes beyond this Goku archetype, our archetypes going to be surrounding interesting ways to be playing with Unisons. So um red go big with one unison yellow spam swap unisons so what i will give this archetype is the interesting fact that you will be playing with unisons in an interesting way that we've never done before which is hot swapping playing two three four uh unisons a turn which could be very interesting so to that end i'm looking forward to seeing um how that variety in gameplay actually comes to fruition yeah i was about to uh say like mechanically i think like numbers are going to be important, but I think it's also kind of crazy to think about when somebody swings with a unison, like you can't death beam that you can't, there are very few things that hit a unison. And once you start getting to swing with this leader, if I'm not mistaken, you should be swinging three times a turn, not counting any battle cards you could possibly have on the board. Cause you're going to have a unison swing. Like you, you essentially with plus one swing with a unison. Swing with your leader, look at your top five, attempt to play a unison, it gets empowered, it gets whatever effects it has coming into play, and then you swing with a unison. So just naturally, this deck is swinging three times neutral, unawakened, and we don't know what the other unisons are like. We don't know if the other unisons might come in at a higher attack power, we don't know what the rest of the archetype does. But not even counting battle cards, this is trying to this our type is trying to guarantee three swings per turn and that's actually kind of a kind of a weird space to be in not to mention the fact that uh you might try to start clearing these unisons and we're not sure at this moment how easy that's going to be like yellow is that color to stop things from turning sideways period so it's definitely going to be some interesting things not to mention this deck might be decent against other yellow cards. Cause like what happens when your opponent's like, 
got your ass, double repost. And then you're just like, well, like I intended to use battle cards this turn, <laughs> just swing on them with like infinite uses. And they're just like, hey, like that can maybe not feel too good. But we have time to see more spoilers and we have to see where things go. Precisely. So th that was pretty much it in terms of things that we had to catch up on. Um, as far as the reveals for once this episode goes out today, we'll probably get um, a good remaining chunk of the Goku deck if I'm basing it off of how the red reveals worked last week. And then presumably Wednesday is when we'll start getting Piccolo stuff, which that I'm excited for. I'm excited to see what they do with Piccolo. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm interested to see what the other cards of the archetypes, but like if it was up to me, I would like to see every single leader first and then we can look into the archetype cards. Um, just because like, I yeah. want to see which one pulls me in mechanically, right? Um, as far as thematics go for this set so far, um, none of the thematics really interest me. I mean, if I look at the banner, like, I guess maybe the Metacooler stuff is, like, hot. Um, but otherwise, like, nothing has really piqued my interest from a theme sense. I'm a big SS4 guy. I like my U7s. I like TOP. So uh, from, from there, it's really going to have to be the set's mechanics that pull me in. And uh, so far, while I do like that they're doing what seems to be new and interesting things, nothing has really, like, wooed me. So I'm interested to see what Piccolo brings to the table later this week in terms of what we can expect uh, for the rest of the week. Yeah. So one thing in terms of pacing that's kind of weird to me, right? Um, I feel like we're getting more of a black situation than a red situation. Because when they released the first red one, that had the leader card and seven cards from GT. And the following day had another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cards. And then the next time when they started releasing Rildo, they released leader and six cards. And then the following day, they released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cards. And then we skip over to black where they just released a leader and three cards. And then four cards. And then four cards. And then five cards. And then one, two, three, four, five more cards. Like they spread black across five days. But when we look at yellow, we only got four cards today. <laughs> like, True. We got four cards today. And unless they hit us with like 10 tomorrow, I'm like, are they trying to stretch yellow throughout the entire week with one archetype? Like, it just feels like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what they're going for in this pacing. Pacing could, I mean, it could also be that just, right, not every archetype needs to be the same size. So maybe it just so happens uh, that... Maybe it just so happens that either the Sun Goku or the Piccolo archetype are bigger or smaller than the other, right? Um, that could be where we're standing. They don't infinite, infinite Bandai wisdom. If the uh, gimmick unison set is small, if it's, if it's like five <laughs> unisons and a counter car, <laughs> just call it a day. Yeah, yellow's good enough. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that would be game. I would eat every word I just said if that happened. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird though, in terms of like what would help it as a TP just going off of this. I'm not sure if a replacement effect is where they like maybe a maybe a one drop something that is cheap to play but has an impactful thing in the archetype because a replacement effect, like I would be sickened, even barrier isn't safe. I'd be sickened if like I was like, ah, yes, this card gives me combo power, my function yeah. like freezes that ball. Like, I would imagine like a field card or something. <laughs> let me start off my turn cell game arena and then it's just like yeah you can combo with <laughs> but like, I, I would be so freaking disgusted if i'm just like all right my hand is chock full i've got like 70k combo power in here some ridiculous number and my opponent's just like 
charge, tap one, Gogeta blocker, remove it. <laughs> Hand goes down to 20k combo power instantaneously. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I would be, I would feel really sketch about like a, a battle card that helped me do shit. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know about this one, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, TPs have the ability to make things wild. They've toned down on TPs as of the last set. Um, but who knows, right? The ebbs and slows that every time they swing one way, the community complains and they swing back the other way because they're just trying to make everyone happy. So we'll see where they end up landing on it. Um, but yeah, so in terms of reveals, that's kind of our, you know, our web and flow about it. Is there anything uh, you want to drop off on the reveals before we jump into the mailbag? Um, if I am ever sitting across you and you tap three for a Gohan unison and five clear my board because you have a bunch of unisons in grave. I'm going to be visibly sickened and probably <laughs> verbally upset. I, it really does like as bad or good as this archetype can be. It really does kind of like make it feel weird that like I could all in my opponent and they could repost me or do all this stuff. And I could just look at their four energy and squint and then read their graveyard and just be like, Lord, don't have it. And if you just play a three drop, you just like in my entire board through barrier. I, I, <laughs> it's like one of those cards where it's like, even if the archetypes do you around it, like nobody wants to get caught lacking like that. Like I am in control. Tap three. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, didn't know it could do that. Like that's actually, that's a really strong auto that doesn't, you don't have to do anything about it. It's not a spirit boost. It's not a plus one or a minus. It's just, it comes into play and you just count them up. So that's that's weird. That's weird for me. Yeah, I mean, we're here's the thing with these the unisons. I've been pretty like juiced up the set in terms of the red uh, baby is like incredibly strong. This yellow Gohan is super solid, and odds are, you know, this is the last unison set. I don't I don't think it's gonna be the last time we see unisons. I think unisons are gonna keep being a core component of the game now. Um, but we're jumping into a new block, and you know, every time we jump into effectively a new big block, um, it soft resets the game because of how insane things are. So. This could be them just trying to push the envelope, get us some insane cards before Z leaders completely turn the game upside down. So just remain to see what kind of happens on that front. Yeah, it that is actually maybe a discussion that you and I can uh, get together for a future video because at this point, they can't shift away. Like Even if they like, or even if we're out of the Unison Warrior block, I don't think they can shift away from the way they've constructed Unisons because there are literal decks that only can get like like black hatch for existence people hate black hatch but the way you beat black hatch is to never charge a unison like you keep playing unisons on top of unisons when they're like when you swing a bunch of times and they get tapped out you play a unison and then you swing again and that's how you get your damage through like there are cards like repose that are oppressive but your unison is the one swing that can get through it. And also, even when Invoker comes out, your unison is one of the only cards that's actually safe to swing. True. So it's like, just the way the game's constructed, I think it would be a massive L for the, for the mechanical structure of the game if they just were like, let's try not printing unisons for an entire set. Like, it would just be really weird. So, yes, I can see maybe leaders not having to awaken based off of unisons on board. I can see less unison free plays being put into the game. But I definitely feel like unisons might slide into what we originally thought it would be most comparative to, which would be planeswalkers. Your deck's not built around a planeswalker in Magic. 
but Planeswalkers are generally a great addition to the flow of the game when you have space to play them. Yeah. Um, Yusin Warrior was kind of effectively, so for those guys who do know Magic and Planeswalkers, um, you know, Unison Warrior block plus boost were basically like War of the Spark, where the entirety of the set was always focused around kind of like how unisons work and how we can interact with unisons and the different mechanics and strategies that we can build around them whereas now that we've gone past that they'll probably fall back into a realm of just things that are included i would imagine in every single set because like i'm just used to planeswalkers being like in every single set in magic um but maybe they play more of like an arrival kind of role where they're the, you know they might get a couple of cards depending on the you know every other set type of situation where they'll land, who knows? Because it's a different card type and not just a skill, I would imagine they print them every set, but don't expect every archetype and every color to get... Who knows? Maybe it will be continuing forward, but my expectation would be that not every color and every archetype, every set, is going to get a unison from here on out. It'll be more depending on what the archetype's trying to do. I would definitely not be opposed if Z leader archetypes did not really play well with unisons. Like, maybe that turn two or turn three turn needs to be set up for your Z leader. And that's the turn that you normally play a unison. Because as much as I love unisons, I think it's a really cool concept. I did not like how they put the flow of your game towards the unison. I would have definitely liked it more if any deck could work with or without one. Not, oh, you didn't see a unison on turn two? Well, screw your leader. Oh, you didn't see a unison on turn three? Okay, well, all these free... Like, they, they literally tied our defense. Instead of being like, let's make balance offense and defense, they just said, here's your offense, and your defense is free, as long as you tap two or three for this unison and kept it alive. And that feels really odd. It, it adds, like, a choke point to your strategy that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Like, it makes it less skillful when your strategy has... Your strategy has, like, a choke point. It, it just, it's weird. Like, it's just very, very strange to me. Agreed. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how they. I mean, it depends. There might be some art. Who knows, right? It's a lot of spec. I mean, it's a whole like set away, which already we don't even have the reality of the set. But just things to consider. Um, when you know the more reveals we see for this set, for uh, Ultimate Squad, you know, keeping in mind that this is the sunset set for the entirety of the block, so it that can justify kind of some of the things that they're trying to do. Wild mechanics, weird ways to play unisons, and the power level of of said unisons are very much going to be in the realm of like, hey, this is going to be the last one for a bit. So we shall see, and uh, we're excited to see what we talk about next week in terms of uh, reveals, you know, and uh, by then we'll have not only um, the Piccolo archetype, but whatever the first archetype of the next color decide to jump into, which should be very exciting because that'll be green or blue at that point, which I'm very excited to see what they do with either or. Yeah. Now. Moving on to the SC Mailbag. Of course, guys, if you have any questions that you'd like Chris and myself to answer on air, then feel free to tweet me at TV with the hashtag SC Mailbag, and we will respond to your question on air. Additionally, if you're more of a Discord individual, there is also the SC Mailbag category on the Discord channel. So you guys can definitely check those out. Today, we've got a pair of questions here. First one from SlasherX8, who says... Do you think we need more variations in ultimates? For example, blue with a field, which says as long as this is your field, you gain one extra blue energy, but play it in rest mode. So like you get an extra charge per turn. God damn. 
Wait, what? <laughs> Hell no, bro. What? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, let's tone it down. Let's tone it down. Let's tone it down. We're not laughing at you. We are laughing at the idea of blue getting another energy. And like the thing about blue is you have to understand that blue untaps as it breathes. That's just so many of their effects. If you could realize that Soul Striker, if Soul Striker had a field card like that, it would just equate to them having a conditional objection every single turn. Like if it has to come from your hand, okay, maybe that can be a balanced early game. But the moment you start getting up to like six energy and start playing things like Rise of the Super Warrior, you're just drawing four. So like uh, it's it's not a good trade off. And like okay, let me charge an extra energy. So I'm at two untapped, one tapped. But then let me play two, and then let me swing and untap two. Like we're just not here yet. This is not what we're we're trying to do. But continue with that question. I'm sorry. Yes. Holy crap! My <laughs> so, brain exploded. There's a, including other kinds of extra card ultimates. What's your opinion? Like um, so. Wait, like the ultimate tag? Yeah. So like basically, okay. do we right? Because there's like heroines lineage. Yeah, yeah. So basically, do we want more variation in our ultimates? Because like. So the evolution of ultimates were basically, um, well, I mean, at first they were not playable. And then after they were basically game enders and they were exclusively game enders. Like, hey, this is how you finish your game. Um, and then we kind of got tired of those around Surge um, is when, you know, they did Apex and Cell Surge and like, okay, bro, we're done with like losing to these insane um, secret rares. And then they pivoted to more utilitarian secret rares. Uh, These don't win you the game, but they help you not lose the game. Yeah. So Hatch, Pan, Kai, you know, all these kinds of cards. So, <laughs> But then they press the fuck it button and release SSB <laughs> Vegeta Envoy of you're about to close out the game. I have never seen <laughs> It's literally been since Apex and Celzino that we have had a card that literally comes down and screams at the top of his lungs, I'm going in. <laughs> and then, like, it, it reads so insane minus 5k on your leader it could be a freaking dual attack triple strike for 40k and even when he just comes in and hops out he just blows up your board and crits a life like, like it's not safe like you're literally not safe like if you go into turn 4 or 5 and your opponent has a board and they're playing red like you need a floodgate or you just die <laughs> like, yeah. Continue. I'm so sorry. No, so I I agree. So it's but but it's nice to have those every once in a while, right? Like I don't want them to never print insane cards like Vegeta. And if anything, Red needed Vegeta, but I do want you know variation. Um, it's, oh, that's so strange. Continue, continue. I like it. I was one of the voices who said I was tired of having only I win the game buttons and I loved when Hatch came out. No one believed me that it was good. I'm like, you guys are insane. I picked it up when it was $80. Now it's a $200 card. So, uh, yeah. Uh, So I love more utilitarian ACRs. I love things that force me to play the game differently. So, um, like Android 17 MVP, it's not an ACR, but you know, it's an invoker card that allows you to play invoker more efficiently but it doesn't change the way you play invoker really it just makes it easier to play invoker optimally right so so for me anything that invites new ways to be able to play the game hatch was super exciting for me because he allowed me to play blue in a way where i can full commit with full disregard for anything else to my turn know that i can tap out for full 
guarantee I will get my next turn and then like do it all over again, you know? So I love those, but we are getting into a point where those are getting harder and harder to be able to play, right? I would argue Mira is a more utilitarian secret rare. It, it can close out the game, but it can also stick on board and be like the most obnoxious thing on the board that's almost impossible to get rid of. But it, like, you need to not run Celzino for that. You need to not run Pan, not run Kai. So it's just like, there are so many things you have to say no to before you get there. So I would love more utilitarian things that change the way the game is played. Um, like, uh, like, here's the thing about his recommendation. I don't hate the idea of a secret rare that you're meant to play early to kind of set up your game plan. Now, the problem is, is that because it's a secret rare, it would have to be a searchable secret rare, which to, to kind of be consistent. So at that point, it's, you'd be basing your entire R-type around a secret rare, which would be incredibly expensive. Um, not only would it be incredibly expensive, but it would also, like, it, the card would have to actually need to be insane, but it'd be a one of, and so it, it it's weird, but I would love that Space Six Resort. Everyone's lineage was super cool. Um, super affordable because of, like, the distribution method, but nevertheless, it was an interesting card to kind of explore that had, you know, SCR utilities in one deck, and then, like, even more so if you play in the deck it was intended. So, I, I just to say, yes, I would love to have more variation in ultimates. Um, I think changing up how the game is played is the best way to include depth and just kind of let people express themselves um, in the way that they want to in terms of how they want to play. The, the, the harder part is just making them versatile or different, but in a way that you would still want them to be playable in the same, not maybe not in the same way, but at least in some specific situations where you would pick them over Pan, Kai, you know, option, whatever, depending on the color. And I think that's the hard challenge with adding variety into the ultimates. Okay. Because there was definitely, I had a different take and as per usual, insight was gained as, uh, as George was talking. We cannot have, like, without thinking how insane that, like, you know, blue could be if it had a card like that, we can't actually have a card that's that strong because then you get to a point where you people already complain, oh, I lost the die roll. That's why I lost the game. We don't need people saying he saw a secret rare and I didn't on turn one. <laughs> <laughs> like, we just don't need that. Like, and, and that would be exactly how that would feel if you had a card that allowed you to charge. Like, yeah. you'd be like, bro, what? Like, why did I lose? Oh, because I just didn't see my secret rare. Well, you gotta hate it, right? So that that's just not something we need. Um, but I do, I am a color purist. I think that secret rares tied to a color could be potentially good because they kind of set the flow for what's going on. And I, I definitely feel like certain colors already kind of have them at this point in the game. I think blue baby hatch is the quintessential what blue should have it's it's a stopping power it is a let me attempt to slide into my stabilization turn and it's not imperfect there are times where having baby hatch at your disposal means that your opponent literally cannot win the game like they're at a point where if they win this turn good but if they get to next turn chances are their chances of winning drops down to like 10 percent. 
and if Baby Hatch has not been used by that turn, you pretty much assure that you win the game as a blue player. That being said, as a red player myself, and actually I'm not even a red player, I just go wherever go on is, the amount of times I've been like, well, if you have Hatch, I'm going to make you bust that dude, like 100% on turn three. And it's just been like that. Like you either get down to two life on turn three because you don't have Hatch or you bust out Hatch the moment I present the field and start swinging. That is kind of how it is. Like Hatch can be forced, but if you can't put Blue in a bad position, Hatch is godly. Um, so I think that like, that is the sort of secret I want to see representing Blue. Uh, just as Vegeta, as insane as Vegeta is, Red for quite some time has had the problem of closing out games. They have great early and mid-game pressure, and then you're sitting there trying to struggle because by the time you get to turn four to turn five, Blue's walling you out. Blue's got Majin Buu unison. Yellow has Mechigabor unison. Yellow has a thick hand and a lot of negates, a lot of interference. But Vegeta is that card that comes out with deflect. And if you can swing with him, he is terror. But even without swinging with him, you are enabling the rest of your board to get through while critting them to a lower life while blowing up their entire setup. So no blockers, no unison, which means no free plays. Vegeta is, I think, what a quintessential red unison should look like. You have the envoy of not getting my cheeks clapped, and you have the envoy of clapping cheeks. Now, past that, though, I don't know what other colors what other colors would necessarily do, because I'd assume they'd make blacks. If, the, if we had to give a cycle of secret rares that each were so prevalent in, you know, what the games do... I don't know what they would look like. Like maybe yellow would get one that could come into play during your opponent's turn that tapped down your entire opponent's board. Not like their energy, but like maybe all their battle cards, their unison cards, their leader cards. That would be very akin to Baby Hatch. But I don't know. Like they're, 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 we'd have to like sit down and really think about it. But I would like Secret Rares being a reason why you would play a color. You know what I mean? Right. Like... I want that level of protection. Give me Hatch. I want that level of Game Ender. Give me Vegeta. Oh, well, you know, this turn. Or you know what? Maybe what if what if a yellow secret rare had like a Mecha Frieza repost kind of effect? Tap down four cards your opponent controls only during your uh during your opponent's turn or something like that. Like not offensively, but defensively. And then when they swing, they have to tap a permanent or something like that. Like something that would give it stopping power, but so stopping power in yellow's way. That might like have been a, a little overtuned, but just like something a, a super floodgate kind of, yeah, yeah, a super tax gate, yeah, just stuff like that. Because uh, I think I, I don't I don't necessarily like cards like Pan and Kai because they take away identity from different colors. Why play this specially tuned green secret rare when Pan is going to do a much better job at anything you want it to do? It's a free swing. It's a it's a floodgate. It's all these things. I don't necessarily like that. Um, so I think that this game would do better with ultimates that are definitely color-based and hopefully something that really helps the color in terms of things that can't do already. And I guess that's actually kind of funny because that would be kind of pan for black. If Pan, if pan was only black leaders, that would be black because black kind of struggles outside of being hatched. Black kind of struggles for defense. That's usually where they kind of falter. They have some great pressure, generally some great gimmicks, but generally they struggle with defense. And Pan is a defensive floodgate when played on that end of it. So, yeah, I guess three of the colors already have them, but it's just... <sighs> it's kind of weird. 
like like uh, like George was saying, it is kind of weird to have the back and forth of these cards doing too much, them these cards doing not enough. It's a shame about how many of these secret rares come out and they're instantaneously looked at sideways. And there's always chances for them to grow. Like people thought that Hatch was lackluster. Um, these people probably could not read because it was the only card in the game that said you cannot lose this turn. Um, anytime a card does something that no other card in the game does, you got to look at it. Even if it's bad, you got to look at it and decide whether it, this unique effect is game altering. And uh, I'm sorry, not being able to swing any more times during the turn, that's game altering. So people were just kind of on cock and balls <laughs> back when Ash got in. <laughs> this doesn't win me the game. Ah, okay. Were you trying to win the game on turn three and blue anyway? I didn't think so. Shut up. <laughs> like... uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wild people. Moving on to the second and last question for this evening. Torox asks us, what have been some of your favorite non-Gohan, non-Invoker decks? <laughs> <laughs> one of mine has to be masked saiyan veggies back in set three or toa chaos bringer mass and veggies i guess you play the mass saiyan starter deck and then you play some veggies in it just to make an aggro deck (laughs) yeah i'm but set i don't even know what that looked like is that black green i guess yeah well, you also probably get some red in there because you play the red veggies, but I'm just thinking of how like he said set three. This is like set four, because veggies didn't Well come well I well I assume TOP. Um Yeah. Um <laughs> you I don't know where that was, where that was getting any dubs, but <laughs> I mean I too like Mass Sand. I'll I'll let a spirit go first. You know you go on invoker hater. What you got against <laughs> U seven? Square off right now. <laughs> Um, so if I, well, it, the problem is, here, here's the thing. I'm going to keep to the spirit of the question. Cause I know Torax is probably just straight up asking like which decks outside of the ones you guys won't shut up about. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like for me, the decks I won't shut up, I, that, like I'm associated with are Invoker, Gogeta ramp, and then like some sort of mill strategy, anything that's do. So for, so if I'm straying away from that, I love combo decks. I love alternate win condition decks. I love decks that force me to play the way the game or allow me to play the game differently than most people are used to playing the game. Um, just cause like, I like being eccentric like that. So on that front, um, I have two decks actually, uh, one of which, um, is golden U seven. So golden Frieza U seven, uh, just cause I I'm telling you guys, there is no greater feeling on this earth than victory striking your opponent for eight life. You really just brought one of the decks I detest the most. Continue. Continue. <laughs> so, you know, that whole deck just literally just pure combo. Uh, if you don't see your combo by turn five, you probably lost the game. <laughs> so that big fan of victory striking for eight. Alternatively, a deck that I thought was stolen from me too soon and also was one of the first examples of Bandai saying, because I said so. When they didn't like the way that the way they wrote the card game worked. Energy Lock Vegeta is one of the greatest decks of all time. That deck, you play one two swap 
and you never allow your opponent to go beyond two energy because you used force ejection mass saiyan to pop their energy after you use explosive vegeta to put the energy back in hand that deck is 10 out of 10 it's amazing it was so good <laughs> well um so i'm kind of sitting here not knowing how the future of this podcast will go <laughs> because like i was very very present during both of the formats where this was like a thing and uh i'll get to my favorites it's just that like y'all love the weird little debates and i'll keep this one fairly short u7 frieza if you ever sit down at a table with U7 Frieza and I don't have any confirmed tops from you with any other decks, I'm just going to assume your cheeks as a player. Because that <laughs> deck is a complete solitaire deck that tries to hit you with a damn near interact, uninteractable win con. It's like, why play smarter than my opponent when I can just try to stay alive, draw my deck, take all my life, and victory strike you? So it's like, if I see you and I've played against you before and I know you have a functioning brainstem, I'm like, okay, you're playing a stupid deck, but, you know, I feel for you. You're just, you're just trying to have fun. If I if I see that you had some tops, but, you know, you're playing this deck now, that's cool. But if this is the only deck you've played, I instantaneously assume your brainstem is defective. Like, it's just it's just how it is. Like, herder. And then when it comes to energy lock, I applaud the people that figured it out and cracked it. But I don't feel bad for anybody who is hurt that it left because that is the definition of a toxic game experience. Oh, hundred percent. That, it's that so deck toxic, prevents dog. your opponent from playing. It doesn't make it harder for them to play. It prevents your half, more than half your opponent's deck are now dead cards. They can combo at this with point them. in the game. Huh? They can combo with them. Oh, get out. So at this point <laughs> in the game, at this point in the game, your boss cards, all four energy. Your boss cards, sometimes five energy when energy lock was out. Like, this is the realm of Super Saiyan 3 Goku, Harutagarn. Um, you had some U7 Gokus running around because if you can get all the Hope of Universe 7s out, you're, like, just kind of doing funny things. The whole point is you are really sitting here in a format where you need to go to four, five, six energy to close out the game, and this deck prevented you from going past three. Uh, I think in some circumstances, you can even lock people at two. It's... It's yeah. just, it was just completely ignorant. And like I said, while it is cool that people were able to make this, it just, it, it was not the move. Uh, the only sour spot I have, because like, don't get me wrong, this was one of those situations, especially since it was using the one-two swap engine. Like, it's just one of those situations where like, I would walk up to my locals, complain to everyone on my locals, talk about how stupid the deck was. And then like, you know, put Vegeta down on table game one because like I, I'm, I'm toxic like that but <laughs> my, my frustration with how they dealt with it more lies with the way that they said like oh hey this is how secret identity works when it's like well, no if you read English that's not how secret identity works at all um, they effectively said added like basically two new sentences onto the card in the rules page that say like no no the way secret identity actually works is that the energy is supposed to be there like it's the start of the turn, how much energy you have after you have charged, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's cap. Like you guys didn't errata the card and the card doesn't say that. So what always made me salty was just the way they went about fixing it. Now, should they have gotten rid of it? Of course, the deck was stupid. 
turn two, like two energy was bought, like typically where you would leave your opponent at. And unless you were also a one, two swap deck, odds are you were losing. But, um, but, but I do get annoyed with the way that they like, and I mean, secret identity is like banned now, so it doesn't matter. But, um, it was annoying that the way they went about quote unquote fixing it, but yes, it definitely deserved to go as much fun as I had with the deck. I suppose I can respect that. Um, I suppose, I suppose I can respect that. So you're really kind of just looking at, I think what you're really looking at with this one is Bandai got to a point where they realized they goofed up, but they wanted to save face. They didn't want to admit that they had accidentally let a toxic (laughs) interaction (laughs) like this into the format. So they tried to be like, that's not how it works. When in reality, they just should have eaten it up. Sorry, we missed this. We didn't mean to let this top quite a few tournaments the way it did. And in the future, we'll pay more attention to our cards. And that's all they had to do. And then they just needed to ban it. That's literally all they had to do. But instead, they tried to make it seem like this was never the way that it was intended. Frankly, no, it wasn't the way they were intended. But that's not because the card didn't read right. It's because they don't look at their cards to break them. And players will always look at card interactions to be broken. So that was just a moment they just should have fessed up, owned up to making a bad interaction, and just killed it. No need to go back and be like, oops, uh, y'all read it wrong, and this is the mm-hmm. secret text. Like, the, the real text. <laughs> this is the real effective <laughs> forced ejection essay. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really weird. Um, in terms of decks I like playing, uh, I've, like I said, I've been playing this in set one. My favorite decks. Uh, I'm very fond of my original Mass Sand build. I played Black Red Mass Sand, and I made it with the whole purpose of trying to smack the crap out of Mecha Frieza, the one that goes in the Hyper Evolution. Um, it did pretty good. Did pretty well. Pretty well. Went to a case tournament. There was a whole bunch of people in the case tournament. It was like a 40, 50 person case tournament, and uh, just basically like went like four, four and one. And it was a pretty tight tournament, but my loss was to my homie that I gave a literal March of the Great Apes Mecha Frieza deck to the night before because he crashed at my place and wanted to go, and he just locked me out of the game because Mass Sand does not play well versus, like, five blocker apes. So, anywho, um, fond of that deck. Um, I do have a very, very fond place of uh, Blue Red Harutagarn. The Chain Attack, Xeno, plus the Hit... It just made a very weird mechanical game state where you were always keeping your opponent's hand from getting out of whack. But you, even in that simplified game state where you both don't have much of a hand, you can tap four to look to see exactly what they have, neuter exactly what they were supposed to be holding, and then have perfect information. Um, which, in its own regard, is pretty toxic. Being able to wipe somebody's like like presence like that and then immediately know that they have one turn to attempt to do things to you before you tap four, peek at their hand, and push with double strike. That is pretty toxic, but it's like toxic in more steps, and it's not uninteractable. You can Xeno somebody, and somebody could draw into the gates and be like, that's yes, and then that's like, it is your ass. <laughs> You're both at like five cards, things like that. Um, other decks that I have a soft space for. It's actually kind of wild because if it's not a Gohan deck, I literally do 
filter from deck to deck based on their matchups. It's not even really mechanic-wise. There's not really mechanics that I like more than other mechanics. If I go into a format, you could have a really fun mechanic, but if you only have one good matchup in a format of seven decks, I just, I'm not trying to play with you. So, um, I guess my pet decks are all Gohan decks. Other than that, I'm very, very format dependent. I picked up Mass San in a format where the best deck got itself down to two life, and if it didn't kill you, it just needed to be tapped. Um, I played Blue-Red Harugarn in a deck where people were amassing stupid amounts of advantage and then sitting behind the walls, so you just bust their hand down with chain attack and then go in. Yeah, I, I don't really have an answer to find an answer like George, because I'm very spontaneous when it comes to what decks I like if they're not going on. Hmm. So it's fair to say you're a more strategic all-around player when Gohan's not involved in the metric. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> very, very much so. There are things you won't catch me doing. Like, I would have to be hard-pressed to play a deck like U7 Frieza or Mill because I just... By principle, I don't like Mill in a game where the whole game is built around filtering. Most other games, filtering is a privilege, not a right. And in Dragon Ball Super, you don't build a deck that can't filter well. True. So Mill is like kind of weird because half of Mill's work is cut out for you, just the way people have to play this game. Um, so I just personally think it's a win con that shouldn't be in the game, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, when it comes to picking decks, I generally do look at the format and then move from there, unless your name is Gohan. Then I'll give you a try, even if you're a 5 out of 10. Fair enough, fair enough. So, those were the questions on this week's SC Mailbag. Of course, guys, if you want us to answer your questions on there, then just tweet your questions at TV with the hashtag SC Mailbag, or jump onto the Discord and ask it in the section. So with that said, that wraps up all our topics for today. And as we close out here, Chris, this week, what can people expect from you? What do you got going on? Yo, we actually have relevant news right now. Um, what? I am, what? Today, I should have a video out. And that video will just be the, uh, the uh, today when you're listening to this, I should have a video out that's going to be the first two days of yellow spoilers. I'm just going to do some finagling. I'm going to look at the stuff and just try to get out the video as fast as possible. Um, it kind of sucks because with the way the schedule is, I have to kind of split it up, but I have to like, I, it, 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 it's annoying. It's annoying. There's, there's metrics because the spoilers come out very close to when I need to be at work. So um, <laughs> we're trying to do some new things to not have you guys look at my videos in the middle of the night instead of, uh, you know, in the daytime when everybody else is putting them out. So you can look forward to a yellow video. If you're listening to this already, it should already be out. Uh, then in two or three days, I'll be putting up the new yellow stuff. The way they're parsing it out, I feel like we're going to have yellow throughout most of this week. Um, just with the count of cards, unless like George said, they're smaller or whatever. But when, uh, when Thursday comes around, I'm going to look at the numbers. Because since we already got black before yellow, we're in a unique position where Toa is the first black card. So I can look at Toa's number, and I can look at the latest spoiled yellow card's number. And if they're right next to each other, then I, I have the green light to do my next yellow video after tomorrow's yellow video, or today's yellow video. So uh, just small little nuances that only an obsessive person like me making content 
is going to pay attention to to make content. But you can expect two yellow card videos this week. Um, I'm no doubt we're going to get some spoilers this weekend that you can expect there. I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough time for another dual night this week. It's a little tight, and my days off got split up. I have when we're recording this, I have today off and I have Friday off, so I'm not sure if another dual night. But we're definitely going to dive into the spoilers. And if I can get another dual video up, I'm going to get another dual video up for sure. Very nice. Good spread there. On my end, uh, you guys know me, streams, typically kind of where I live and thrive. Uh, we'll be aiming to do, I think, um, Thursday, they're still doing their pre-seasons. So we'll see uh, if I jump into those. But nevertheless, we'll have some game play there. And uh, doing a fun side project with um, Android slash Stage Zero. So if uh, if you guys... Want to see me and him take on an interesting Dragon Ball-related challenge? I think that video will probably end up going up later this week, second half of the week. So keep your eyes out on those channels if you guys are interested in seeing your boy a little bit. Uh, with that said, we'll obviously be ready with another podcast next week. So everybody, until then, we wish you the best of top decks. I don't like top decks. You better have that in hand already. He's sacking people, acting like you're good. I mean, I suppose the best of top decks does work. That's a pretty good catchphrase, actually. I'm sorry. My own salty bias is a terrible scourge, even amongst myself. So. You guys have a great day. And yes, the best of top decks we do wish you.